I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 78 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with Nadine Tanner. Nadine is the Senior Manager of Technical Education Programs at Puppet. She is responsible for all things product training from working with internal knowledge sources and the instructional design team to produce modern, engaging knowledge assets to delivering online and on-site classroom sessions. Nadine is an experienced instructor and speaker with nearly 20 years experience of information technology and security training and delivery and development. At Rapid7, she taught vulnerability management and network and application assault, as well as SQL, Ruby, and API. Before Rapid7, Nadine taught security analytics and advanced security operations-centered management for RSA. She taught cybersecurity and information assurance 850-70 classes for the Department of Defense, including CISP at Fort Gordon, Fort Carson, and the Pentagon. In this episode, we discuss teaching and traveling, communicating technical terms, talking about the basics, writing a book, teaching with humility, knowing when you're an expert, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. All right, Nadine, thanks for joining me in Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? I am wonderful. Thank you for having me. Well, we were just talking before we hit record, but you and I both had kind of a crazy summer travel schedule. What got you all over the um, all over the place for the past several months? <laughs> all over the globe. Yeah. Uh, it started out probably, I'd say, early spring. I ended up traveling, of course, to teach my Metasploit class. I also taught some Insight VM classes for customers. And then I had a ball. I ended up in Austin, Texas, teaching a CISSP class that was internal to Rapid7. And um, it is really interesting teaching a class of that magnitude for people who want to be management who are extremely technical. And so I would introduce a topic and then just let them go after it. (laughs) So I would sit back and let them almost teach themselves. I was just facilitating. I wasn't having to teach them all about networking and security. And and I was, I learned a lot from it. Um, And then I had the same opportunity. I went to the UK and went to London to teach the class for a week, again, to another internal group of peoples who I was extremely impressed that they were taking the CISSP in English, but that was not their primary language. And so for that class, it wasn't the technical and it wasn't the management. It was making sure that the whole nomenclature that the that the understanding of the sentence which you know the cissp tries to mess you up anyway with Mm -hmm. the double negatives and which one of this is not a disadvantage but having them pass the test you know with english not being their primary language was just i was so proud um and then i came back home went to black hat went to another off-site for a customer, came back to Boston. And yeah, so I'm, I'm very happy to be home for a couple weeks. <laughs> That's great. <clears throat> so you, I mean, you've kind of had a, a you know, if I kind of uh, cyber stalk you and look at your LinkedIn profile, I mean, it's been, <laughs> it's been a long time of doing, um, you know, what started in IT training to cybersecurity. So has that, that been your primary, let's say, discipline for the past couple decades? 
Well, it's kind of bounced. Um, I started out actually in marketing. Uh, I had gone into a marketing position and back in the day, they were keeping track of everything on paper. And it was like, oh, heck to the no, 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 no. So I built an access database. And at the time, the president of the company walked by, uh, Anthony Sanfilippo, and he went, ooh, you, you, you know how to do this stuff. And I was like, yes, yes, actually I do. And he said, could you teach us how? And that's where it was born. And it's always come easy to me. My father was an engineer. I'm married to an engineer. Ones and zeros just always made sense. And if I had to do it over again, I would probably go into computer science for a degree. But yeah, it was just one of those things where, ooh, that looks interesting. I think I can do that. And I ended up teaching for a couple of different organizations. And then I went hands-on. I went into a contract for the DOD where I was actually doing some of the things I had taught and loved it and got to actually build a couple of projects and work with a couple of teams that were astronomically brilliant. And then after Global Strike Command was stood up, the contract dissolved and I went back to the classroom. Uh, I had an opportunity to move here to Colorado and teach for Iron Horse University at Fort Carson and did some more traveling. I taught at the Pentagon. I taught at Fort Gordon, Fort Huachuca, Fort Polk, Fort Campbell, and just ended up traveling and teaching and loved it. Um, but then again, I, I had that pull of, you know what, I want to get my hands dirty again. I, I want to jump back in and actually do something <laughs> instead of just teaching about it. And so I went to work for a sim and loved it for about a year, year and a half, and then got pulled right back into the classroom. It was one of those that they're like, hey, wait a minute, you can talk to people. You get in front of, you know, your technical, it's kind of a unicorn, really. I can do or I can teach. A lot of people who are very, very technical aren't very comfortable speaking in front of people. So it was like, sure, fine, I can do it. So I ended up back in the classroom again. It's like it's like that, uh, you know, the good fellow. It's uh, I'm sorry, uh, the Godfather reference. It's like every time you're out, they pull you back in. <laughs> as long as we don't go to the mattresses, we're this okay. This is true. This is true. But yeah, it's but you bring up a good point. Is you know one of the challenges we certainly see in the technical fields is you know some of the the best people I've had um, lack that ability to communicate both verbally or, or in a written form. Can completely reverse engineer malware. Can find the most obscure forensic artifacts, develop exploits. And I'm like, oh, can you explain how that's done? Completely fall apart. And there seems to be, there's a, you know, I, I don't know enough about neurological study, but that, you know, that that one area of the brain that works in one area, but doesn't connect with the other. How have you been able to kind of bridge that gap, not just for yourself, but get other people to do it? Because there's always that ability that I find interesting in people that train other people it's to get them to kind of train other people as well. Well, I think that's a, a really interesting thought that, uh, have you seen the meme and it says, teacher, it doesn't matter where you move my seat, I will talk to everyone. And my husband laughs because if we fly anywhere, whomever is sitting next to me, I know their life story by the time we've landed. It's just part of my nature. It's, I love people. I love talking to people. I like making their lives easier. And that's what I tell all my students in all my classes. It's like my job is to make your life easier, whether it be showing you how to automate something or how a tool works best or how to deliver the right report to the right kind of audience. I enjoy communicating ideas to people. Um, and, and I do like being somewhat technical. In fact, um, I don't, 
I don't really think I'm that technical until I talk to somebody who knows nothing of IT because, you know, I've gotten to sit and listen to the best of the best, the Jonathan Hams, the John Strands, the David Kennedys. And, and it's just like, I'm not worthy. You know, you guys are so amazingly brilliant. But then, you know, I talked to the Rotary Club and they asked me, so what's a payload again? And so it's like, yes, yes. Okay, well, maybe I do know a little bit. Um, and so being able to share what I do know with that type of audience, I really enjoy yeah, they're they're making that connection too. Yeah, you definitely get that kind of imposter syndrome. But I think we all get when we kind of meet the best of the best and see them. You're like, okay, what am I even doing? Um, but then when you go and you know, I've done talks with folks in kind of you know, it's kind of obscure areas, but they're you know, they're like you know, these are the types of problems that we're having. They're affecting our business on the day to day life. All the things that you might know that's so you know above everything else. That's great, but. Daily operations is impacted by this. And I think that's what gets lost in a lot of times is communication is we still have to talk about the fundamentals, still need to talk about the basics. And that's just really talking to people by, and I, and I even hate to use the word dumbing it down because I don't think that's nice, but making it digestible is the type of terminology I try to use more than anything else because people have to say, oh, okay, now I get why that's happening. And I think that's a, it's a unique art. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, when uh, I wrote my book, the very first opening page, you actually, I quoted <laughs> when you said that uh, people go to Black Hat and they end up buying the curtains before they actually have the foundation poured. And it's true. The people that want to get so incredibly granular and they don't even have an inventory of their hardware or an inventory of their software, or they look at you like you're crazy when you're talking about vulnerability management. And it's just like, wait a minute, and you want to do what? So absolutely, I think being able to communicate, these are the foundational principles of cybersecurity and how incredibly important they are. Because again, if you look at the CIS, you know, top six, those are supposed to get rid of anywhere between like 65 to 85% of your vulnerabilities. If you lock those six down, you're good. At least you've got a good start. Um, so yeah, definitely. And let's just talk a little bit about the book. And I, I was honored and flattered to get a little <laughs> little shout out and quote in that. But uh, you know, with everything else you have on your plate, I'm sure get, getting in and writing a book is not the uh, the most time uh, forgiving task to take on. What made you kind of write the book? And actually, tell us a little bit about the book as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's been a journey. Uh, I was in Winnipeg, Canada teaching a class for a very, very large insurance company for Rapid7. And I ended up coming back through customs. And the guy that was behind me in the line put his backpack on top of mine. And I know I know now it must have been by accident. But the first thing that popped in my head was cloner. You know, my I bag is in there. My credit cards are in there. Everything is in there. And, you know, I, I'm thinking, okay, you, you just cloned my American Express card. So I picked up his backpack and I moved it and I must have given him the evil eye because he took a step back and I went through customs and when the backpack had rolled over, it said Wiley and I started laughing and we ended up having a conversation that, hey, when I taught at LSU, I used your curriculum. And when I taught at Iron Horse University for the Army, I used Cybex you know, curriculum. And he said, well, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I was like, no, no, not really. I'm, I'm busy. Thank you. And some of my best opportunities have come when I kept saying no and they kept saying yes. And 
they'd asked me to write a book on Metasploit and I giggled and it was like, yes, I know, I know. I teach the class for Rapid7, but I can't write a book on Metasploit. <laughs> I mean, I know David Kennedy. I know James Lee. Like, I'm going to actually write a book and show it to Egypt. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so I ended up talking to my husband because they did come back and they say, are you sure? Are you sure that you're sure that you don't want to write a book? And so I talked to Kenneth, who's, again, uh, very IT oriented. He's the CCMP in the family. And I said, what book would I write? And he said, well, write the book you needed 20 years ago when the puzzle pieces didn't come together for you uh, until you'd been in the industry for a while. And I was like, oh, I can do that. So I started off uh, with uh, a, a scope of about 12 different chapters, and it was everything from the very, very, very basics of how exactly does ping work? What about IP config and NS lookup and trace route and those type of tools that most of us who've been in the industry for a while are like, yeah, everybody knows that. No, everybody does not know that. I can show you, you know, putty in a classroom and then people go, oh, so that's how that works. And they've been in the industry for a while. So I started out with some fundamentals and then I moved into some of my favorite Windows tools. I did have an opportunity to work for uh, Microsoft in 2009 when Windows 7 was coming out and um, learned some tools that even today people look at me like, how have I been a system admin for 20 years and I've never seen that? So I talk about Pathping and God Mode and some of my favorite system internals. Thank you, Mark Rosinovich. Um <laughs> And then things like InMap and some open source tools for vulnerability management. You don't have to buy the biggies. You could actually get away with using things like OpenBoss, but you know, Nexpose has a community version. So I went through and I tried to write the book as if I was, you know, back as a college professor in a classroom with a this is why you do it, this is how it works. And then I for most chapters was able to add like a click here, download it here, open it up, click this link. You know, when I did the chapter on Wireshark or on even Metasploit, I did do a small, a small, small chapter on Metasploit. Um, it was how to install it, where to find it, and then in what kind of situation would you use it? And then how would you interpret the results? So I try to write it for the classroom as if, you know, you don't have an instructor-led class, you're just reading the book, how do you make it work? And what's really funny is two things. Um, Wiley came back to me and said, would you build some PowerPoints for each chapter? Because they've started putting the book in classrooms. So there are a couple of uh, universities that have, that have added it to their curriculum, which I think is super duper cool. And uh, one of my partners in China, in Beijing, picked up my book while he was here in the U S and took it home with him and pinged Wiley and said, can I translate this into Chinese? And I was like, of course you can. Oh, please do. <laughs> yeah. And so he's pinged me a couple of times. And he goes, I don't understand the story. Would, would you tell me the story so that I can actually translate it into something, you know, that it's readable. I was like, absolutely. So it's kind of been fun working with him and, and uh, having the book translated. You know what I find when and I, I've, I've I've threatened myself with writing a book a number of times on different things. And one of these days <laughs> I just have to do it. Uh, it is an intimidating feat, but I, you know, even in some of the short things that I've uh, wrote for internal things or even client 
stuff, even reports, you know, when you go back and you do them, I always find there's, there's something I learn a little bit more when I actually stop focus and actually have to kind of write it down in orders. I would do things I'm like, Oh, now I'm seeing things that I kind of missed the first time, or I have better understanding and I can therefore talk about it better. Were there particular things that you kind of came across as you were writing this, that you had a kind of similar experience? Oh, absolutely. I learned a ton. Uh, there were times that I would be researching, how is the best way for me to explain something? Uh, can, I, can I try to figure out how to bring everything together? Because that that's, is what I try to do um, as an instructor is boil it down to a level that everybody can understand it. And usually what I'll do is either use an analogy or, but I found tools that I had never seen before that are open source on the web that I brought into the book, like DNS dumpster. Oh my goodness gracious. How did I live as a system admin, as a network administrator and not know that this tool existed. It's my and, hands down my favorite tool, and I only discovered it. I, I use it, I don't know how many times a day, and I only found out about it about a year and a half, maybe a year ago. I know. <laughs> so how, how have I existed this long without knowing that's out there? So things like that that I found, the little nuggets of, holy cow, that makes my life so much easier when you're doing either active recon or passive recon. And so I get really excited and and then I'd, you know, jump out of my chair and go tell my husband or I'd write it down so I could tell him in the morning <laughs> because the kids would go to bed and then Kenneth would go to bed. And then that would leave me about two hours to to start writing and, and uh, concentrate on, on what I wanted to do. Usually I was in bed by midnight, but <laughs> it ended up being, you know, a, a nighttime event that I would get to just sit down in front of the PC and, and you know, write what I wanted to. Uh, I had a phenomenal team. I had both a an editor that made sure what I said actually made sense to a non-technical person. And then Emily was my uh, technical editor and, and she was from New York, had been in IT for many, many years. And uh, she went through to make sure that I was right. <laughs> so, so I wasn't misleading at all. But uh, she, in fact, said that the Metasploit chapter was her favorite because she wasn't exposed to that. That was not her line of business. She was completely blue team. She had never touched the CLI or the, she said that was her favorite. So I, I think there's something in it for just about everybody. Um, it does start off a little slow for some people who have a firm foundation in IT. But if you're brand new, absolutely, you can pick it up. Now, I think my favorite, favorite story is uh, my daughter, when start when school started, she's in eighth grade here in uh, Colorado, um, she had to do a book review when school started. And so uh, I went upstairs and she is sitting in bed reading my book. Uh, chapter 13 is uh, securing the OSI layer eight. And so I told her of all the chapters, that's the one that, you know, as a 13 year old, she would probably enjoy the most, you know, learning about human nature and how to educate people. And um, yeah, so she actually did a book review on my book. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. I know. Now there was, there's, you know, I, I kind of maybe, you know, this is one of the things I always find interesting. It's funny. So my parents wrote a number of books in kind of technical fields on public communications growing up. I helped edit them, package them. We self-published everything, put them out. So it was, you know, I started very early in the entrepreneurial and book publishing days uh, when I was a teenager by helping them get stuff out. But I, I got to see the process firsthand. And what I don't think a lot of people appreciate is, you know, when you do receive that beautifully binded, 
you know, artwork filled book, it doesn't start out like that. Uh, there, there's a mm-hmm. lot of process that goes into that. And there's a, you know, I think kind of a misattributed quote that goes back to Ernest Hemingway of anything about like all first drafts of everything are garbage or, you know, that really the first draft of anything really is, is tough. I kind of go through how you have to do this kind of iterative process to get from an idea to a published book. Well, I went through and scoped out the first 12 chapters I thought I would write. I anticipated how verbose I might be based on how much I talk, and I was so wrong. It is much harder to put something on paper than it is to have a conversation about something. You know, you could say something like, uh, I am, you know, um, know, identity and access management. Well, I could probably talk for about an hour on how that works, but actually putting it on paper, completely different story. So I would try to, as much as possible, kind of write down my notes in some type of, you know, as we learned back in school, in some kind of outline, right? These are my high points. This is what I must talk about. And then I would just start typing. I I would uh, grab a glass of wine (laughs) and I would sit and think, all right, what would be the best way? And I tried to, again, make it a little conversorial so it wasn't incredibly dry. I think there are books on the shelves that are excellent that are amazingly amazingly well written but they read like an encyclopedia and I didn't want that I didn't want this to be something that sat on a shelf and gathered dust I wanted you to be able to pick it up and actually do something with it so then I kind of went through and thought about well which one of these thoughts or which one of these products would I actually want to write an exercise around and then in the most general form because I'm not here to set up a lab with you to show you, you know, this is what you install and these are the machines that you have. I tried to generalize it enough so that you could do it. Um, But actually writing those labs, make sure that they work in most browsers, most operating systems, and, um, and then try them and test them out. And then, of course, it would bubble up to a technical editor, and then she would duplicate what I had, you know, written and then it would come back, this worked great, this didn't work so great. They only had one of those, so I was thrilled. Uh, we had some burp suite issues, but it turned out to be, you know, patches and all that kind of fun stuff. But all in all, it was, you know, what's most important? What have I actually had hands-on using? And what did I like the most? That was the beauty. It was my book, so I could go anywhere I wanted to. It wasn't, you know, being dictated to me by anybody. And that's why we ended up with three extra chapters. Uh, we got done and it wasn't quite as long as we had anticipated. So they're like, hmm, what do you know about Callie? And it was like, a little bit. <laughs> and so I ended up writing a chapter um, about Callie and then summing it all up on a chapter on CIS, which was not in the original scope. So I did enjoy the freedom of being able to go in the book in the direction I wanted to go. So, you know, if, if somebody says to you, you know, hey, Nadine, I want to I write a book, what's what's the, you know, and it can only be one piece of advice, what would be the one, you know, kind of one tidbit you would give them as, uh, as something to get them going in the right direction? Do it. Just do it. it, it I know that's a Nike saying, but just do it. <laughs> 
you know, you can plan, you can plan and you can build a foundation and, but you just have to start it. And sometimes getting started is the hardest thing. I had a really unique experience because, you know, I was teasing Jim Minitel. He's, you know, my, my publisher there at, at Wiley. And I said, I don't think this is how it's supposed to work. I'm supposed to write the book and beg you to publish it. <laughs> and he said, no, no, the, the industry needs this. And, and I think you're the one to deliver it. Um, in fact, he's asked me to write a red team toolkit, which is a little daunting because, you know, for 20 years I've been blue team, but it does force me to think about what I would put in the red book versus the blue book. Mm. And um, so we'll see how that goes, but just do it. Just absolutely. Everybody, you know, one of the things that I love about teaching classes uh, that are open enrollment, sometimes we do dedicated classes for very specific organizations, but I can have anywhere from 10, 15, 20 people from different organizations at different, different level of expertise in a classroom and listening to some of their stories, I learn from their mistakes or I learn from their processes. And so being able to come together and learn from other people, some of their stories actually hit my book. I've, I've got uh, an example of a tool that one of the guys that I think he was in my Insight BM class, maybe my Metasploit class, but he had actually written a tool about passwords and obfuscation and being able to um, use an algorithm to anonymize different types of passwords. And I threw his tool in the book, you know, kind of like I asked you, is it okay if I quote you? And he said, absolutely. So I learn a lot from the students that are in my class. Everybody has a different level of expertise. So you might not think that you know something, but you actually do. I, I would say just start it. Just do it. Yeah. You know, that's a funny thing that kind of key in on teaching that I don't think a lot of people really realize is a lot of people think, you know, I, I can't teach something. I don't know everything. Um, and that's kind of the kind of a fallacy I think of teaching. It's like you, you get a certain amount of material, but you guide people through the process and you learn quite a bit by doing it. And I find what's interesting is, you know, the types of questions that teachers get, they say, might say, you know, geez, that's a good point. I don't know. And we'll spend time researching it and then learn something that they might not have, not have known. Um, so as you mentioned, you know, there's, there's things that you hear about, whether it be tools or questions, techniques that you might not know until you get into a class of 20, 30 people. And all of a sudden somebody brings up something nobody ever else heard before, because quite frankly, not everybody can know everything. Right. Absolutely. Well, maybe 20 years ago you could have, but nowadays, no, there, there, there's so many different, you know, little bitty fingerlings coming off of cybersecurity, whether it be something like malware analysis or forensics all the way to, you know, your SIM. There's so many different types of products and how we lock things down. No, there, there's absolutely no way to know everything. But uh, you bring up a really good point. I think when teaching um, there is a bit of trust that's built when your instructor is willing to say, you know what? I don't know. You're you, just yesterday. I was finishing up a Metasploit class and, uh, had a gentleman ask me a ask me a very technical question about a wrapper around one of the payloads. And it was like, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what the size is, but, but give me a second because I actually have a Slack channel <laughs> who I know who's staffing it. So I'll go to Brent and say, Huckins and say, <clears throat> Do you guys know? And I was able to come back and give him what he needed. So um, yeah, I, I, and I've seen folks like you know Rob Lee do the same thing, teaching a science yes. class. And yeah, to, to many of us, he's like the god of forensics. And I've sat in <laughs> yes, his you know, classes. He's you know. <laughs> I don't know. Let's test that out in right there in class. And we all learn something in which is a cool thing. Cause then within, you know, the hour or the next day, like 
everybody researches something new and you're like, wow, I just really got a lot out of this. So there's, there's something that I find that's really awesome about the humility of teachers. Cause then it, it, it makes you I don't know, a little bit more inspired, both as the teacher and the student to say, you know, I gotta go, I gotta dig a little deeper. And I think that's something that is, um, one of those traits that you have to pick up in cybersecurity is as, uh, you know, Cindy Murphy, who's been on the podcast before, is like, he said, you know, you got to kind of have to be a, a chihuahua on a pork chop. You just got to bite in and keep going. <laughs> and it's, you just can't give up because there, there's just so much, um, to constantly learn. Um, so, you know, at, at, as you do that, um, you know, one of the things too, is like I said, like, do you ever teach other teachers? Like, do you ever get other people say, okay, how do you scale your ability to other folks? And how, how have you ever had a chance to implement something like that? I did. I did. It's interesting. Uh, uh, it's, it's an interesting process. I know as a public speaker, I end up, if I'm not caught up in your material, watching your presentation style, I'll start mentally ticking off the ums, the uhs, the right, you know, oh my gosh. So I think trying to teach other teachers is a unique experience. I, I did that for LSU. I actually taught a how to integrate technology into the classroom. You know, this was like 15, 20 years ago when we were still using floppy disks. So I got to teach actual real teachers, not just plain old teachers. Um, and so classroom, nine months out of the year, K-3 all the way up to eighth grade, uh, how, how to integrate technology into the classroom. And they were eager and they were excited about it. And as an adult, there have been a couple of times, as an adult, as an experienced cybersecurity instructor, there have been a couple of times where I've had other instructors in my class for a specific product. And uh, that usually goes pretty well. Um, I did have a director of uh, training once tell me that my analogies were brilliant. Uh, we, were, we were discussing AI, actually. And we were talking about how to write a rule that paralleled time in almost like another dimension. And I told him it was like bicycle tires. Everybody can ride a bike, right? So you, so you find something that everybody has in common. And so the first tire might be, you know, time six months ago when your baseline looked like X, Y, Z, but you're scanning today for the same type of scenario. So those two bicycle tires are still moving in tandem. And so after class, he was like, that was absolutely brilliant. We need to think outside of the box when we start looking at, you know, how to best grab something that the end user already knows and then just layer on top of that because teaching brand new cybersecurity techniques and concepts, unless there's something for them to root that onto, they're going to read it, take the test and then forget about it. It, it will evaporate if they, if they don't have anything to grab onto. Yeah, that's a, such a good point. Particularly, you know, I try to use analogies a lot, even, even when talking to clients about things. It's just, mm -hmm. it, it really w helps people, um, you know, connect with it. Are there other things that you do, you know, as far as a teaching style or techniques that you find, hey, this really uh, helps people, you know, get with the material or retain stuff in whether they're testing or going to add it in some kind of practical day-to-day -day life? Well, uh, in most of my classes, if I have time, I like to do a little informal introduction, find out what your expectations are. Is there something that you're already having a problem with? 
I do try to manage my microphones as much as possible because the vast majority of what I do teach is virtual. Uh, in person is so much more fun when you can actually see like the 11 between their eyes, like they look at you like you're crazy because mm -hmm. they, they don't understand what you're saying. A lot of people are afraid to speak up and, and they're afraid to say, hey, I don't understand you know, what, what you just said. Uh, so I try to encourage people to private message me if they have a question or, or if they just didn't get it or if something's not working right. If you don't tell me that, that you don't understand, then again, I can't read your body language. So in person, it's really fun to, again, have somebody look over at somebody else's screen to see, you know, am I doing this right? They'll look at their monitor and somebody else's monitor and look back at their monitor. You know that they're having an issue. I would say um, Chris had Nagy's book, uh, The Science of Human Hacking. The Art of Human Hacking, his, his two novels are amazing because you learn a little bit about the psychology of how people are reacting and how they're thinking and, and how to understand how to communicate best to them. Because again, my goal with any type of human hacking is to have you learn. Uh, I'm not trying to get something out of you. I'm not trying to make you do anything that you don't want to do, but it's understanding those fundamental human nature type of things. And, and in the classroom, you know, if when you're dealing with 15 different individuals, sometimes it's, it is making the offer of, I'm going to have everybody manage their own microphones. So if you have a question, you can speak up, but for those of you who don't want to, you can always private message me. And then I try to, you know, when they do private message me is to preserve their anonymity and say, Ooh, I've just had a really great question. The question was, and then I'll ex try to explain it another way. Cause again, not everybody learns the same. You know, there are some people that have to touch. There are some people that have to hear. There's some people that have to see it. And so managing that in a classroom can be a bit of a challenge, but I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, and you bring up a good point too. And it's, it's, I always tell people, you know, I don't, I don't hack computers. I hack humans. And it's, you know, it's really, it's, it's what happens. I mean, if you think it's like, all we're trying to do is change user behavior on things um, to get somebody on, uh, at least on the offensive side to get them to do something they wouldn't normally do. Um, right. Like you know, have complex passwords. Yeah. Or just reduce control <laughs> or just give up the password. If I call and say, Hey, I'm so-and-so from Microsoft, heard your computer's running slow. Can I log into your computer? You know, yeah. it's, and it's just the path of least resistance. And people want to say, no, it needs to be harder. I'm like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> that, no, that's all no, I need. It doesn't. I, it doesn't. I, I get from point A to B, point B the, with the least amount of friction and not getting caught. That's my you goal. You make a good Linux administrator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, on the on the defensive side, it's the same thing. We almost forget about that. It's like, well, how how do how do we how do people think? How do people act? And it's really it's this this element of we need to connect more with with human side of this and understand how human behavior is more than just how the technology works. Because we can always figure out how the technology works and why exploits work and why crappy code gets you know gets pwned. But you know, the, the reality is it comes down to human behavior. Um, yeah, so it's, I think it's what eighty percent of a lot of the. Um, break-ins of, of enterprise organizations start with some type of phishing or social engineering. It is on my bucket list. I would absolutely positively love one day to do the social engineering capture the flag at DEF CON. I haven't gotten a chance to do it. Um, I've had to come home like twice before I had an opportunity, but oh my gosh, I think that would be a hoot. And like you said, I want to play it strong. I, I want to play it straight. I want to play it from, hey, my name is Nadine Tanner, and I'm at DEF CON doing this Capture the Flag. Could you possibly tell me who? And and play it in a way that I'm being honest to see how far I could get. 
Yeah, it, it's it's crazy how you can just you know people will just say, well, what are you just going to walk up and talk your way in? Yes, <laughs> that's yep. that's I, I can defeat controls that way, and it it works. But uh, you know, it really comes down again to this this human element. And one of the things that we you know we look at the the human kind of side of our business is the big thing that gets brought up a lot. It's you know the human capital. We don't have enough cybersecurity professionals. We don't have enough talent. Where do you see it being kind of the gaps there, or the shortages? Is it in skills? Is it in the number of people? Are there things that we can do to be trained better to make people better communicators or leaders? Where where are the kind of uh, prioritized, you know, the 80-20 rule that when you look at it in the human element, that can solve some of that portion of the, the conundrum? Well, I think we're catching up. I would like to think that we're catching up slowly but surely the industry has been a little slim, like you said, on having actual talent, people who know the things, but we've gotten so diverse. And I think, you know, like my, my kids, they bring home iPads from school. They've gotten extremely technical. Their backpacks don't weigh nearly as much as much as mine did. I remember having those, you know, three inch thick history books. So they're bringing home technology. They are learning it in the classroom. Uh, my son actually went to a, a robotics world championship in Louisville, Kentucky this past year. He took 37th out of 800 con- contestants globally. Mm-hmm. And so he's already learning robot C. He's learning programming. Uh, there, there are opportunities that I think that young ones are starting to grow up with that we as um, adults and educators are looking at. This is the way markets have shift. We're now an informational uh, general, um, what's the right word, uh, focused, um, society now. And so these are skill sets that, that must be taught at that level. Now, once they do graduate and, uh, they've got two different paths, really. Some go the certification path because that's what HR is asking for. Some people say, no, we don't need the certifications. We need actual hands-on experience. And I really do believe it's a combination of both, Um, having as many certifications as I have and being a professional test taker. (laughs) It's it's important. It gets your foot in the door, but then you have to know something. You actually have to know and be open to learning. So whether it be volunteerism, which is huge, one of my favorite people on the planet is uh, Johnny Long with um, Hackers for Charity. Uh, volunteer for an organization and get your hands dirty. If you want to actually take community college classes, or there are a lot of cyber universities out there. Denver has one, you know, SecureSet. Um, sign up to take classes, volunteer, go to the SANS um, after hours talks that that they'll give at night. You're going to have to make an effort if you want to be in cybersecurity. It's not one of those things that you learn it and you're done. Uh, one of my best friends in the whole wide world, we've been best friends since, gosh, freshman, sophomore in high school. She went to med school, graduated, uh, was at Vanderbilt for a few years. We met over the holidays last year. And over a glass of wine, we were talking about you know the dynamicism of what she's learned as a pathologist and what she's done. And I told her, no, 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 you, no, cybersecurity beats you. And she said, no, it does. And I was like, all right, Adri, let me go ahead and ask you this. What kind of software did we use in high school? What was the hardware like when we were in high school? Do you remember the TRS-80 that we had as freshmen? <laughs> and she was like, oh, yeah. I said, okay, now think about, pick up your phone. 
all right, yes, yes, that beautiful little Apple phone, pick that up. And, and think about how we have, you know, progressed as an industry and what we have to secure nowadays. Used to, you could lock up your floppy disks and be fine. Nowadays, no, we are so interconnected. You have to have a desire to keep learning. It's not one of those things that you read a book, you put it down, and now you're ready to rock and roll. No, no, it's, it's going to be an ever-learning process. Uh, I have probably at least three or four RSS feeds that I read every single day. Dark reading is one of my favorites. You know, there are resources out there that, that you have to be open to. Um, staying on top of what's the newest and latest and greatest because the industry can shift in 24 hours. There'll be another zero day. There'll be you know something that hits the fan tomorrow that we have to scurry and, and work on remediating and protecting and cleaning up after. So yeah, you have to be open to ever learning and um, have an appetite for being, um, oh, what's the right word? Agile. Yeah, agile and a little bit humble too. That's that's the one thing yeah. I found is so, you know, yeah, I mean I can sit there and claim on all my LinkedIn profiles and CVs and everything. Listen, I'm Doug Brush with twenty five years of experience in technology and you know, I go back to N T three and all this and I have to self-check that and let that ego go away every now and then when I'm presented with things like AWS and Azure, where not all those skills completely uh, move from one side to the other. I have to start as a newbie again. And that is a humbling experience at times going, I have no idea what the hell's going on. I got to figure this out. And you just have to dive back in and say, you know what, I just got to figure it out. There's no, there's no other way to do it, but to get hands on. And there needs to be um, that ability, I think, for people, particularly as they progress in cyber, and that's the one thing I see that people lose is that willingness to say, ah, crap, I got to start all over again. <laughs> <laughs> no, you most definitely do. And that's so funny. I saw a an argument on LinkedIn just earlier this week, and the debate was going back and forth. When do you know you're an expert? And the people that are on LinkedIn that put expert in their profile, I look at them and go, is that self-proclaimed expert? Now, of course, we know who are the experts because just of the nature of who they are and we've heard them speak and we know what they do and we know what they can accomplish. And it's funny because those people don't call themselves expert. I don't think in any way, shape or form, David Kennedy would talk to anybody and say, yeah, I am the expert on Metasploit. Yes, you wrote Metasploit Unleashed and, and I, I've seen you type. So yeah. I, I know that you're the expert, but in no way, shape or form would I ever, ever try to put that behind my name. I, I know that's not me. That, that is so not me. So yes, absolutely. Being humble is huge. Yeah. I mean, but there's signs to do it. You know, there's, there's things because I'll, I'll, it's, um, you know, I often use the word expert, certainly for marketing or expert witness testimony, things like that. But I, I always go in it with a grain of salt saying, listen, this is where it's at. I'm an expert of not knowing everything. And I think that's like where, where I, I say I'm an expert is to say, okay, I, I expertly know nothing, but I, I've become an expert in <laughs> how to learn about things. And I, that becomes the the real skill is to say, okay, how have I learned to learn? How do I get the most uh, efficiencies out of going through my learning process so I, I can get the, the best return on investment? Because I'm not getting any younger, that's for sure. Oh, I wish, but yeah, no, yeah. we're not. So 
I greatly appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast today. Uh, kind of tell people where, where we can find you. We certainly have the book that is out now, um, which is great. And I encourage everybody to pick it up. So it's Cybersecurity Blue Team Toolkit by Nadine Turner. And it's from Wiley. And I've, it's certainly on Amazon. And I'll put the, the links in the show notes on that. But where, where else will you be in the, the coming months? In the coming months, I am going to be doing lots of traveling for Rapid7. I'll be back in Boston for a week. I'll be back in Los Angeles for a week. I have a dedicated class in Dallas I'm teaching for a customer. Um, I haven't got anything on my schedule except for maybe a visit to a SANS Denver um, talk that they're giving. ISE Squared uh, is having an event here in Denver um, in the very near future. But... uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to be traveling and teaching and and um, trying to educate that, that group of people who want to be in cybersecurity and vulnerability managers and then learn how to pwn the things that they've just fixed. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, that's awesome. And I'll, I'll be sure to put the links to, to where people can find you from the Rapid7 site and everything else. But thank you so much for taking time. I'm glad we finally uh, got a chance to do this. I appreciate it so very much. That was fun. All right. Anytime. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Thank you, Doug. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.